0: Welcome back to my dad's podcast, season two, My Blackest Challenge National. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram. Hope you enjoy the show. Bye! My name is Dr. Kalechi Bay Lamberts, and coming up on this episode, we'll be talking with Miss Victoria McNeil on mental health and the black girl magic. But before we get deep into the overview, let's go over our formalities. If this is your first time listening to my Blackest Transnational, you can find this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps on Stitcher, Google, Apple, wherever you love to listen to podcasts, you can find this podcast on there. So we would ask for you to review and rate the podcast if you like what you hear. And then also feel free to subscribe if you want to listen to more episodes. You can also find us on social media at Black Transnational Podcast on Instagram, or you can find us on Twitter at MB Transnational. And if you want to just follow me on my personal page on Instagram, you can follow me at Black Transnational underscore. Feel free to also email us at blacktransnational17 at gmail.com or you can just check out our website for everything at blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. Okay, so for today's episode... You'll hear an interview with me and Ms. Victoria McNeil, who is a PhD candidate at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And she is not just um, a counseling psychologist in the making, but she's also a, um, a social justice activist um, and someone who's very, very excited and passionate about mental health. Uh, for black women and black girls and also just um very interested in understanding how racism and discrimination negatively impacts the health mentally for black women in the united states and across the globe so victoria and i have a really good conversation about what is the black girl magic era and we also talk about how racism and discrimination impact um, not just black women here in America, but also black women that are immigrant and how positive imagery is very important for young black girls growing up here in the United States. And we also then go into a little detail about how this issue um, the stressors and the coping strategies um, in the black community, especially for black women, uh, kind of help. Um, as far as unifying us, and how the common M- enemy of racism and discrimination kind of unites both African, or I should just say black immigrants, and um, Native African Americans here in the United States. So it's a great conversation. i very excited for what Miss Victoria McNeil is going to be. I find her to be a very, very strong and um, intelligent Um, bright scholar that is on the rise. I'm very excited for what's to come, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did having it. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Ms. Victoria McNeil on mental health and Black Girl Magic. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to My Black is Transnational, and today we have on another guest, who will be um, sharing her expertise with us. A uh, very special guest, really near and dear friend of mine, like a sister to me, um, an up-and-coming star when it comes to just the field of psychology and activism in Blackness and mental health, especially for, um, for Black women and Black girls. Uh, and I'm very excited about what she has in store for us. And I wanted to have her on the show. It was damn near mandatory. So I want to introduce you all to soon-to-be-doctor... Miss Victoria McNeil, what's going on? Thank you. Hi. How Thanks are you? for having me. Yes, it's my pleasure. It's not even a question. It was bound to happen. I had to make it happen. I think, uh, you know, I've been saying it for years now. People need to hear what you have to share and just all the great things that you're doing and, and soon to be doing. So I'm glad that you uh, gave us your time to be able to, to, to join us and talk with me.
1: Yeah, of course. I appreciate you. Thanks for that introduction. I, thanks for gassing me. I feel I'm like really, really special. Listen, so, man. You
0: know I'm I here to hype. You. I'm here to hype people up, man. It's worth it. I, I, know. I gotta do it. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um, so I mean, so can you? Before we get really deep into the context, I want you to just take a moment, then, without me gassing you up, to gas yourself up and introduce okay. yourself to our audience, so they know a little bit about what who you are, what you do, and what your interests are.
1: Okay, dope. So, um, like Dr. Kell said, my name is Victoria McNeil. I'm currently a doctoral candidate in the Counseling Psychology Program at the University of Florida. I'm in my fourth year, so I'm about to be out of here uh, in about another year or so, finishing up my dissertation. Um, prior to pursuing my doctorate at the University of Florida, I did a master's program in clinical mental health counseling from the University of Central Florida, Prior to that, I got my bachelor's degree in psychology and African-American studies uh, at the University of Florida. And so I'm really passionate about mental health generally, but black mental health and wellness specifically. Um, I've had really great opportunities to be able to work along that vein um, and to fuse my passion for mental health among the black community with my passion for social justice and advocacy Uh, My research interests broadly focus on the impact of racism and race-related stress among Black people. Specifically, I focus on the mental health and wellness of Black women and girls. Um, Had opportunities to do a lot of different speaking and outreach uh, engagements nationally, statewide, internationally. Quite recently, I was at the University, uh, State University of New York, Cortland, to talk with Dr. Kells about a project that I have based on the self-esteem of Black girls and Black women, um, and it was a great experience. Outside of that, I do clinical work. I've done clinical work at the Veterans Health Administration, uh, college counseling centers, and also a youth agency focused specifically on uh, connecting girls, Black girls to mental health services. So I think it's a really, really important area, and I'm happy to be doing work in this area. It's really my life's work. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think of it as a job. I think of it as more of a calling or a purpose. So I'm excited to be on here and talking to you all about it. Um, so thanks for having me again. Of
0: course, of course. And I think you mentioned you, that your, your focus is really on fusing Black health and, I mean, Black mental health and, and social justice. But even honing down further to black girls and what inspired this? Like what led you to this vein uh, to really focus on black girls, black women um, and mental health and providing just social justice in that realm?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think originally um, my passion for the work was really influenced by my own experiences um, of racism, but also sexism, so gendered oppression and experiencing that, you know, kind of growing up, trying to develop a healthy sense of self-concept in the face of gendered oppression, both related to my race and related to um, my gender identity. So there's that side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of just how, when you know, as I went through, you know, school and life as I got older, I started to see kind of the universal implications of gendered oppression and of racism and sexism and how uh, the experiences that Black women and Black girls face are not similar. Well, they're similar in some ways to the experiences that Black men face, and they can be similar to the experiences that women of other races and ethnicities face in some ways. But they're very unique in that the intersection of those identities really impacts our functioning and the way that we, we view the world. And so I wanted to, you know, figure out ways to kind of fight back against some of those systems of oppression, both for my own liberation personally, but then also extending that to be able to liberate, um, you know, black women generally. And, um, we know that black women are pretty much the most oppressed people in our society. Mm -hmm. And if we learn how to eradicate the barriers that are faced by black women, um, ultimately the barriers that are faced by all people, um, will be eradicated as well. So if you if you focus on the person with the most oppression, then everyone else also gets freedom, also gets liberation. And so that's kind of why uh, I focus on this work. So originally it was my own stuff, really being informed by my own experiences, but then learning, uh, experiencing different things, talking with different people, seeing how intersectionality related to sexuality, gender, mm-hmm. race, all kind of come into play. Um, to affect oppression, you know, really influences the work that I do now.
0: Okay. So and and I think what do you think, just in in layman's terms, right, and, and what have you run into in the literature that really is a major stressor or a major cause of negative health outcomes for black women right now like what do you think is the most common thing that black women face um is it racism is it things um that are byproducts of racism or is it anything else like work socioeconomic status what do you think is a a, a huge stressor just on your own experience
1: yeah You know, I think one of the biggest stressors facing black women is how, um, you know, we experience high levels of violence just kind of based on our race and our gender. We experience violence from within the black community, and then we also experience violence outside of the black community. So that's a major stressor, right? Like when you look at, um, you know, Tatiana Jefferson, who just, you know, got killed in her home right. just for being a black woman. She right. just was perceived to be threat a threat uh, for no other reason than she was, you know, playing video games uh, with a family member. And so that's a huge stressor. That's something definitely that's on the consciousness um, of black women. That's something that we think about when, you know, we go outside and we have to interact in the world you never know whether, when you're going to you know, face a microaggression or a macroaggression. You never know when somebody's going to say something out of pocket to you. You never know when you're, when you're truly safe. So that's a huge stressor, one. And then something really specific to my work is this idea of code switching um, mm-hmm. or shifting. We have to shift ourselves in different environments, right? So when I go to work, I have to perform in a way that's acceptable to whatever my work environment is. So they might not want me to wear my hair in a fro. So I'm consciously aware of how I'm presenting myself um, and trying to really monitor the way that I'm speaking, the way that I'm interacting with people. I don't want to be perceived as an angry black woman. I don't want the work that I do to be looked over because people feel some type of way about me. And so that's a really big stressor, too. That impacts our our view of ourselves, our self-esteem. Our, our work outcomes whether we get promotions all of those types of things mm-hmm. and so that's really on our consciousness as well wow
0: i mean that i mean you just covered a whole lot and i think that's some things that i think a lot of us um don't necessarily think about who don't have those lived experiences so what are some of the coping strategies i'll say that you know that you have read about or you may have been um, that has been shared with you or, or you may know of like that black women use to try to go okay this.
1: yeah so that's that's a really good question um and so I can talk about a couple of different things. Um, so I right now run an Invincible Black Woman group at the mm-hmm. University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and it literally is what it sounds like. It's a, it's a support group for black women at the University of Florida. The University of Florida is a predominantly white institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about the stress that they are experiencing and also provide support to the women Um, About ways to cope with that stress. And so, what I always try to tell people, you know, my colleagues, my friends, my sisters, whomever, um, is that it's really, really important to build a support network. Like, it's important to have people in your corner who you can go and talk to that might have similar experiences to you that you can go invent and like process with and download with that are able to validate your experience. Because a lot of the times, we're in these predominantly white environments or predominantly non-black environments. And you end up feeling really crazy. Mm-hmm. You second, you start second-guessing your experiences. You might experience, like, somebody might say something out of pocket to you. You feel like it's a microaggression, but there's no way to really check in with that person, right? Because it's not safe to do so. Mm-hmm. So having a support system um, to be able to really talk those things through with is really important. That's one another thing is just figuring out things that you can do to maintain your own wellness. Right. So, um, you know, like thinking about, you know, what you can do for self-care, if that's, you know, watching movies, if that's journaling, if Mm -hmm. that's like, you know, hanging out with friends, if that's taking a bubble bath every day, if that's, you know, reading books for pleasure and drinking tea, whatever works for you, Mm -hmm. figuring out things that you actually truly enjoy, um, because that's been shown to really, really help um, with feelings of stress. Now, outside of that, some researchers, Dr. Della Mosley, who was a professor at the University of Florida and her colleagues around the country, um, have developed a model for healing from racial trauma. Mm. And it's called um, a radical healing model. And so that model has been really shown to help with feelings of racism, related stress and gender oppression specifically as well. And so what that model really dictates or really asserts is that as Black people, as Black women, we really try to uh, maintain a sense of hope, right? So maintaining an idea that things can improve, not really getting um, disillusioned with the world to the extent where we feel helpless or hopeless. Um, we maintain an awareness of what's going on, so a critical consciousness to be able to look at our experiences critically um, and not second-guess our experiences, but understand the systemic implications of our experiences so we don't feel like we're crazy. We can actually speak a name to the oppression that we're experiencing. Um, also, cultural self-knowledge is a big component of that model, so really emphasizing and valuing. The knowledge that we have, the embodied knowledge that we have, one, but also the ancestral knowledge that we have from Mm -hmm. family members or from ancestors, right, who passed that knowledge down to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, collectivism, right? So, again, like building a support network is really, really important. And then strength and resistance, figuring out ways to, you know, do advocacy work or activism work to fight back against the systems of oppression and all five of those components. Um, can really help with coping with
0: stress as well. Okay. So you you talked about the angry Black woman syndrome and and that whole narrative, I should say. And where did that come from? Like, where did that whole idea of this angry Black woman image come from? What do you think?
1: Yeah. I think it comes from white supremacy, um, which I think a lot of different things come from. Right. Um, I think that you know, when we look back at American, the United States slavery specifically, right? Mm-hmm. Um, white people had to figure out stereotypes for black people in order to dehumanize us, right? And so you see with black men, black men have been stereotyped as being predators, um, unsafe, and that stereotype has it has been pervasive, and has really implicated. Um, Black men in a number of different environments or a number of different situations from that time. Mm -hmm. The same thing with Black women. Black women were stereotyped as being angry um, to dehumanize us so that when we advocate for ourselves, it's not accepted because, you know, we don't have as as much of a platform because we can just be kind of passed over for someone just blowing things out of proportion or being too angry. Black women have also been stereotyped as being you know oversexualized, mm-hmm. like this this idea of the Jezebel, uh, black women are also sometimes stereotyped as being too strong or the strong black woman. And mm-hmm. all of those mechanisms were just the dehumanizing mechanisms to make us seem like we are less than white people, really. And so throughout time, they've kind of shifted forms. There have been kind of pervasive images in media or in songs, mm-hmm. um, like, which is another form of media, but, um, or in popular culture um, that have kind of confirmed those stereotypes, um, those false stereotypes, mm-hmm. right? But that's, that's kind of where they originated from.
0: Hmm. You know, you bring up something, I think you talked about it, as far as what I know, I've come across information of the uh, hyper-competitive black woman, and it's that notion, as you kind of alluded to that, Man, like when a black woman is trying to be about her game, and when she's trying to be serious and 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 really achieve her goal and aspire, and it becomes that whole that whole too strong. She's too strong. She's a strong black woman idea, and she's hyper competitive because she has to work almost twice, if not three times, as hard in order to be recognized and validated for her skills, her talent, her abilities, her aptitude, and that stands out to me as well, because when we talk about barriers to success, to achievement, job satisfaction, like those things are sometimes swept under the rug. Right.
1: For sure. Yeah. Especially like, you know, in today's society where people really have this notion. Well, some people have this notion that we're kind of this post-racial society, right? We talk mm-hmm. about like, oh, everything's fine. Everything's great. Nobody really talks about race anymore. So right. a lot of those issues do get swept under the rug, specifically as it relates to black women.
0: Yeah. And so I, I want to shift gears a little bit into some things that you mentioned that you've done in the past, especially when we talk about um, coming up here to SUNY Cortland, where we were at. And uh, you talked about your I Am Enough um, program. I well, would not program, but your, your talk. And it was titled I Am Enough. And, you know, that focus on the whole idea of promoting health and in, in the Black Girl Magic era. That, that Black Girl Magic era, like, what is that? And why is it so significant when it comes to being a tool that can help promote mental health for, for Black women here in America, and maybe all over the world?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the Black Girl Magic era is kind of this era that we've entered into within, I would say, probably the last, 10 years. Um, if you, you know, see in media or see just kind of in everyday life, black women, um, are really celebrating themselves. We're really celebrating ourselves on different platforms. Uh, we've been standing up for ourselves in different ways. Uh, we've been able to have access to more role models that look like us, right. Mm -hmm. Um, anything from TV to, uh, to movies, to songs, there's just like a really big push of celebrating Black womanhood specifically. Mm-hmm. And that celebration is really important because before this time, although there were always ways for Black womanhood to be celebrated, it wasn't as accessible because it wasn't on such a large scale. And so these Black women and girls that are growing up right now you know, don't have to feel as much pressure to try to assimilate or conform to white culture, Mm -hmm. right? So we're seeing people in media that are wearing afros and we're seeing darker-skinned women um, on television, whereas before only lighter-skinned women were represented or people that were closer to whiteness, people with long, straight hair um, were represented. But now we're really celebrating kind of all facets of blackness and it's really really empowering. Mm -hmm. Um, People can wear dreadlocks on television Um, People can talk openly about how they're, you know, really emphasizing their blackness and being intentional about in their blackness um, in a way that they couldn't talk about as openly before. And so I think it's a really exciting time because not only are we able to have collectivism around this movement, we're also able to use the movement as a way to resist um, the oppression that we're experiencing
0: from outside of our community. Yeah. And, I, and I think as you were talking, I started thinking about the, the in addition to the black girl magic, just that whole, I mean, we thought like like Beyonce with the brown skin girl song, right? And how that song has kind of caught fire as far as being an empowering song for, for young black girls, for all black women, right? And just letting them know that they're beautiful and, and putting them on that pedestal that they need to be put on. And so now how early, do you think promoting these types of messages as far as good mental health and just understanding how to empower yourselves, like how early do you think one should start promoting these in, 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 to black girls, black women? How early do you think?
1: Yeah, I think as soon as possible, okay. like immediately. <laughs> okay. I'm not a developmental psychologist, right. um, so I don't have uh, all of the data that goes with that. However, I do know that very early children start to um, be able to make ra- uh, racial differentiations. Mm-hmm. So they are able to identify, even as infants, they're able to identify uh, different different races and how they they look different, um, how their caregivers look different um, from other people in the world, things like that. So race is, a racial differences, race is a social construct And racial differences, children are able to identify pretty early. So as soon as possible, like, Mm -hmm. you know, getting books, there's been some more books that have come up recently um, about celebrating blackness and black uh, girlhood, specifically being able to read your children, those books, being able to read books with your children, being able to expose them to images that are really empowering, talking to them about role models as they get older. You know, um, the first lady Michelle Obama is a huge role model that Black girls coming up now can look at. I mean, that's something that you know I didn't have growing up, but it's mm-hmm. pretty significant now. Um, so as soon as the child is looking at pictures, they could be looking at some empowered, empowering images of Blackness. That's what I say.
0: That's 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 what's up. Um, because and the reason I only asked that question was because I know that I've heard some um, factions of, of people who mention like. I don't want to get them exposed to all that too early. Like I don't want them to start thinking about the negativity of race and racism at such an early stage. And I don't want them to start understanding all the harshness of, of being different and the disparities at an early stage. So I I know that there's some argument for that as well, but I do agree that I think the earlier, the better. We can't be, we can't pretend we're blind to these things when they, they exist and they shape how we interact with one another. Uh, so I want to now kind of shift gears because this show is my Black is Transnational. We do talk about various groups within the Black community, and I wanted to know what your experience has been like in past, present, even uh, as far as interacting with with Blacks who won't necessarily identify as African American but identify as African immigrant or as African Caribbean or you know Latina, like next I should say. Um, what have you, your mm-hmm. experience been like with that, and, and how has mental health tied into that, if you have any experience to share with us?
1: Yeah, so I think that's a really, really great question, um, too. And I love this podcast specifically because you talk about the diversity in Blackness, and I think that that's something that's so important, because oftentimes people talk about the Black community as kind of this homogeneous community, mm-hmm. and, and and they don't really Um, look at the beauty of the diversity of different groups and of different cultures within Blackness. And so cultural experiences are really, really important as it relates to mental health and counseling and psychology and functioning um, and wellness just generally. And so when I'm working with a Black person, right, a Black woman, a Black man, a Black person generally, I really always need to attend to their culture, their cultural norms, their cultural worldview, and also their cultural values. And so what we see through research and also just through lived experiences and the work that I do is that, you know, different people from different groups might conceptualize stressors or experiences in different ways. We know that racism-related stress is a pretty significant stressor for all you know, people from all different groups within blackness because racism is an is a, is a issue that black people just generally face. Mm-hmm. However, the coping mechanisms um, of handling that stress can be different, right? And so, we see that people like African immigrants, Afro Caribbean immigrants, um, people from those groups really deal with stress um, in a different way, as in, you know, really relying on familial or community support, Mm -hmm. whereas people from African-American backgrounds um, more often kind of rely on friend support. So that's one of the differences between those groups. Also, you know, acculturative stress is a really big stressor for people that have immigrated to the United States or so different parts of the world within um, Blackness. And that's obviously something that African-Americans don't experience as much, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have to keep those things in mind when talking about coping mechanisms. You don't want to give, you don't want to give somebody a suggestion for a coping mechanism that they aren't going to utilize or that's not relevant to them culturally. Um, Another thing that's really important though, is really even the conceptualization of a mental health concern. Mm. Um, People from different cultures and different backgrounds have different ways of looking at mental health um, issues. So, Specifically, I've worked with a lot of people from Haiti, a lot of um, students that have either immigrated from Haiti to the United States or their parents were immigrants to from Haiti to the United States, right? And so, um, and a lot of those families and a lot of that... It, community, mental health concerns aren't talked about as openly. Generally we see that with black people, but it's even more so for my Haitian clients and so we have to do a lot of work about talking about what mental health is, right? Mm -hmm. What mental health means to them, you know, how do they conceptualize their own wellness because these labels, these Eurocentric labels of depression or anxiety might not fit with them and that doesn't mean that they're not experiencing the same thing as someone who would label it in that way.
0: And what does spirituality fall into the whole concept of coping? Has that something that you you've run across as far as tools to cope within both Black and Black immigrant communities, or not?
1: Yes. So spirituality and religion across the board is pretty a pretty consistent coping mechanism for people within the Black community. Um, even more so from people that immigrate to the United States from other places of the world, because that spirituality. And that religious background is kind of an anchoring point for them, not just to uh, the whatever the spiritual being is that they adhere to, but also to their culture, just in general. So we see pretty pretty consistently that people that immigrate to the United States have been are are much more strongly tied to their culture. I'm sorry, to their religion and spirituality um, than than their, their white peers or people from other races and ethnicities. Mm. What's interesting about religion and spirituality as a coping mechanism is that there are positive ways to utilize religion and spirituality and then there are negative ways to utilize religion and spirituality as coping mechanisms. And the positive ways of using religion and spirituality as a coping mechanism is really trying to identify you and God as partners in your life and really You know, feeling like God or the spiritual being is really supportive Mm -hmm. and forgiving Mm -hmm. and kind of those types of ideas. The negative religious coaching side of things is feeling like you're being punished by God or feeling like God is angry at you and redefining stressors as an act of... god's dissatisfaction with you and we see pretty consistently in the research that those who utilize those positive religious coping mechanisms have a more um positive outlook on life and have higher rates of well-being than those who utilize negative uh, religious coping mechanisms
0: okay so have you noticed um do you notice in your opinion do you notice if there's a divide between African-American women and Black immigrant women from your clientele, or as far as, or just even from how they interact and perceive each other, or is that narrative kind of changing as far as, you know, everyone just kind of seeing each other as one Black community? I'm just just curious.
1: So I think that it's really interesting um, from my perspective, because of the current socio-political climate. Hmm. specifically as it relates to the women that I've worked with or work with at the University of Florida, um, because oppression, unfortunately, tends to bring people together, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if I'm experiencing racism, and I identify as an African American, and you're experiencing racism, and you identify as a Nigerian immigrant, our conceptualization of the racism might be different, Mm -hmm. and we're both experiencing racism. So there's a commonality in that. And I think that the current sociopolitical climate with, you know, the president that we have mm-hmm. has really kind of intensified the oppression that both uh, African-Americans and African-immigrants feel. Mm-hmm. However, I think that African immigrants or just immigrants in general have that added stress because of all of this immigration stuff, all of these immigration issues. So that's obviously something that African-Americans aren't relating to as strongly. And so that's, there's a divide there. Um, As far as the perception between groups, I think that, you know, generally there's usually still some resistance and, and rightfully so in some areas, right? Like again, People historically have grouped all black people into this homogeneous umbrella, under this homogeneous umbrella, and that's not necessarily accurate, right? So there are some commonalities, but also some really important differences, and it makes sense that people want to be around and relate to people that can understand their culture.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and and I was thinking about, you know, just for those who are also afro-latinx and and you know and fall into that category of being you know black but also have Hispanic ethnicities um, and just where they fall into these interactions as far as mental health. but I do agree that the climate in which we are in right now does play a major role as being an unfortunate common ground that we use to kind of build um, kind of hopefully build community and, and maybe it's not temporary but it can actually be something we build. Um, upon for the future so now what what i don't know if you mentioned this earlier And forgive me if you did but so what are you working on now as far as like your dissertation and trying to get up out of here what's your project now and if you have then i can digress
1: yeah so i am doing um, my dissertation on shifting so shifting is similar to code switching Mm -hmm. um in that black women shift their Self perceptions and self presentations in different environments. I'm specifically looking at how that impacts wellness, mm. and how the positive or negative socialization messages that we've received from parents and caregivers have impacted the way that shifting the relationship between shifting and wellness.
0: So is that like? Um, sorry to interject. So is that like? Yeah. Is that like? Is that like? Okay, code switching in a sense because I I perceive code switching from like accent from like African accent to American accent is this like using your white voice compared to using your black voice in different spaces or just or is there is there a deeper nuance that um, I'm maybe not capturing
1: yeah so that's, I mean, that's definitely one example of it. So like, you know, for you, like switching acts or code switching in different spaces. Um, but what's really, what's really interesting is about shifting is that we don't just shift in white environment. Mm. Um, we shift in black environment, too, which I think is a nuance of the concept that's not often talked about. So, you know, it's you know, being consciously aware of your uh, aware of your hairstyle when you're going into work, mm. but it's also being aware of whether or not you're performing blackness in a way that's black enough around your black friends mm. or about around your black family members, because of all of these expectations that we have in different settings. So when I'm around my family, my ex, the expectation of me is to act one way, but when I'm at work, the expectation of me is to act another way. When I'm with my friends, the expectation of me is to act this other way too so I'm shifting from face to face to space, and the thought is is that that leaves me with not a really strong understanding of really you know who I am who, who is my authentic self and what I'm just doing to shift to meet the needs of whatever environment I'm at
0: so that's interesting who is the key I don't want to say validator but who is the official authenticator of blackness and all these things that we or I say you're these individuals are trying to strive to achieve to be classified as authentic. Like who determines that? Is that like a, a collective um, consensus or is there like this, is there, is there more to that?
1: Yeah. I, I think that the issue is that blackness can't be, you know, like wrapped up into this package of this is what blackness is. Uh That's what people have tried to do to us because people try to categorize that that's just what humans do we try to categorize people to understand but blackness is expansive right. you know when any any black person is an embodiment of blackness and so I think oftentimes we get into these stereotypes of what blackness is right so you know you know, growing up I really liked fantasy and I really liked you know myth cold stories and all of those things and that wasn't something that black kids quote-unquote did and so i had to hide those components of myself because that was like oh that's something that the white kids do Mm. if you do this you're acting xyz you're acting too white or we get into these components of oh you're black on the outside but you're white on the inside this oreo concept and all this foolishness there's no authenticator of blackness because if you are black you are blackness however because of all of these stereotypes we feel that we have to we feel that we have to act in certain ways in order to be validated which is because we're valid just by existing our you know our existence should be validated on its own and so i think that's why we shift um, and it's a never ending cycle because if we continue to shift it, we're never going to feel completely authenticated because we're never going to be completely ourselves if that's the mindset that we have.
0: I completely agree. And I think I, when, when you mentioned the Oreo complex, I also thought about the whole idea of whitewashing and, and if, they're, they're, if they're synonymous or if they're different. But I think that's something that we can definitely expound on in, in the future. And for the sake of time, um, I want to you know, start winding down. And I want to just allow you time to also mention, like, what's in the future for you? Like, what you got planned outside of trying to get out that jam? Like, what's what do you aspire to to do once you, you get that PhD? I, well,
1: okay. So I'm excited about a lot of different things. Okay. I'm excited about getting the heck up out of here once. So <laughs> After I get my PhD, I'm I'm really interested in getting a teaching job. Um, I really enjoy teaching. I really enjoy mentorship. Um, That's my passion. I love clinical work as well. I plan to do that on the side, but really infusing teaching, social justice, clinical work, advocacy into a career, into a job will be really, really awesome and important for me. Um, And I think that can look like a number of different things, um, but... I'm planning to do an academic route, getting, getting a teaching posting. That's my, like, that's my primary goal one after graduation. Um, I will say that right now I'm super excited because I had the opportunity to develop, propose, create, and teach the University of Florida's first black psychology course um, last spring. And now we're gearing up to have the second round of it this spring. And I feel really, really um, excited and grateful to have been able to do that. Um, and that's something that I think can be a legacy for me here at this institution, but also something that I can take with me to different institutions and to have that course that I've developed. Um, outside of that, I'm really, really, really um, excited to get more into advocacy and activism work, um, both at a statewide level, but at a national level as well, wherever I am um, after graduation, really having intentional conversations with community members, with Black people in the community about mental health, doing lots of outreach around those those issues and those concerns, and really making mental health more accessible. I think that's um, probably the overarching goal.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something that needs to continue to be promoted and and, and spoken about because mental health is just Severely overlooked, especially in the communities in which we represent. Um, And and I'm just excited for all the amazing things that you're doing and all have already done. And there's more to come. Um, Victoria, thank you so much for taking the time to join the show. Is there any way that people can contact you if they want to follow, know more about you on social media? Do you want to share your info or let us know what's up? Yes. Yes.
1: So you can find me at my Instagram at Victoria Select. Um, it's just victorious, like victory, Lex, L-E-X. Um, I would love to connect. Also, if you're interested in more of my research generally, you can find me at the Wells Healing and Research Collective uh, website at the University of Florida or on Instagram at Wells. That's the Instagram handle. I would love to chat. I would love to connect. I love talking about these things. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. And this is, again, soon to be Dr. McNeil. I appreciate you for coming on the show, sis. I'm like, you know, if there's anything that we can do over here, I hope to have you on again once you've already accomplished that PhD, which is very soon. And and I really want to hear more about what you're doing. And I know our listeners will be excited to know about what else you're doing and just excited to network with you. So thank you for hopping on the show, sis. Thank you. Thanks so
1: much for having
0: me. No problem. So that's going to do it for this episode of My Black is Transnational. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Miss Victoria McNeil, and I'd like to thank Miss McNeil for taking the time to join us and share her expertise with us. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more from this show, you can find us on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. You can also check out our website at blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast. You can follow me, on Instagram at Black Transnational underscore, or you can follow the podcast at Black Transnational Podcast on Instagram. You can also check us on Twitter at MB Transnational. So we'll conclude here. I will be signing off. Until next time, my name is Dr. Kalechi Bay-Lambert. My black is transnational, and I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace.